books, God is Just Like Jesus, you can email me at chris at godisjustlikejesus.com. Okay, this one's more intense, so brace yourself. Uh, he's been teaching, interacting with a lot of uh, people, and finally when evening comes, he decides to go across the lake with the disciples and other boats, actually, to the other side of Lake Galilee. <clears throat> that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind and the waves. Quiet, be still. And the wind died down and was completely calm. He said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Don't you ha have any faith? And they were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. And that's Mark 35 through 41. <clears throat> and consider looking at the parallel passage in Matthew 8:23 or Luke 8:28. Okay, take a minute if you're with some people, talk about what's the situation going on here and what's the essence of the disciples' questions and how are they uh, to Jesus and how are they feeling? Right? So set up the situation, talk about it. If you're on your own, just think through it, uh, journal about it a little bit, hit pause and come back. Okay, again, that processing time is so important because you want to be listening to the Holy Spirit, what He's highlighting for you. And when we do discussions online, I do online uh, Zoom meetings um, throughout the week. Uh, the Holy Spirit highlights different things to different people, and He's the one that's, that's teaching us and, and uh, telling us the important parts to draw out for us today. So, the disciples are seasoned fishermen. I mean, they've grown up and on, on the water. They've grown up fishing. This is their livelihood. The squall, this fury storm, it's bad enough for their boat and the other boats. It's interesting. There are other boats out there. It's so bad. It's swamping the boat, and they are terrified that they are going to drown. And that's, again, that's me. I'd be terrified at a little two or three foot wave, right? But these guys are seasoned fishermen, and they're terrified, so you know it's bad. Well, they run up to Jesus, and they say, teacher, don't you care if we drown? And I think that the, um, the passion bot, um, Sorry, the Message Bible translates, translates it, Teacher, is it nothing to you that we're going to drown? Right? One, it's a foregone conclusion. And two, it's like, you know, the heart of the question is, don't you care about us? Like, you're, you're sleeping. And how many times in life do we feel like we're going through really intense struggles, job loss and horrible health conditions or God forbid we lose someone we love and we're like God where are you and that's exactly how they felt and um, and and so they they assault him with these questions Jesus wakes up immediately assesses the situation and just silences the wind and the waves you know silence be still and and uh, and so what we have to do is wrestle with his words, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Right? The Passion Bible translates it, why are you still afraid? Haven't you learned to trust yet? So work on what does he mean by that? Give me your most fearful, 
uh, interpretation of those words and then hopefully your most healthy interpretation of those words. And I would say, think about other passages where the disciples fail or they struggle or, or Jesus is intense and use those to help you interpret these words, right? Hit pause and then come back. So, uh, in years past, when my image of God was really influenced, really by my own sinful choices in this life, my own anger, my own depression, my own accusation of others, I would read in accusation to all of this stuff, right? And, and instead of blaming my parents for, you know, or my dad for, oh, you know, that's why I have this image of God, and, and that can be partly true, I'm starting to learn to take some more responsibility for my own sin, right? And a lot of times when I've accused people in my own heart or fault finder or been judgmental, that laced my view of God. And so the Holy Spirit begins cleaning our view of God up more and more and more as we walk with Him. So now when I read, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? After combining it and looking at all these other passages in the Gospels, I don't see accusation in this from Jesus. I don't see him tearing them down. I don't see him pushing them away. I don't see him fault finding them. In fact, you want to ask yourself, is he even rejecting them, right? Does he kick them off the leadership team? Like I've said a number of times, does he like distance himself from them personally? No, no, no. I don't see any of that. Does he shame them or berate them or make them feel like, oh my gosh, like you guys, you see me turn water to wine, you see me raise dead guys, what, you can't handle a storm? He doesn't shame them. He doesn't pull any of that with them. So now that we've got our vision of God like cleared out of some just dysfunctional, you know, kind of demonic influences, right? Because the enemy's always trying to get us to doubt God and, and, and um, accuse him of evil, especially evil motivation, because really that's how the enemy does it, right? We're really trying to separate out, how, separate out how the enemy motivates us or tries to influence us versus how God does. So I don't see any accusation or anything here. What I do see, though, is some real intensity, right? So the spectrum of Jesus's response for his disciples, and again, I'm not, I'm not sure I'm going to call this sin. Uh, I'm not even sure I'm going to call it failure because the, the situation was so intense. I just think they didn't know what to do with it. So I'm going to call it an intense training moment. But I think I'm going to pull some of those labels uh, off that I've used in other passages. So it's way up the intensity spectrum. So Real general responses of Jesus can be encouragement, can be instruction, patient instruction, calm teaching. We can go up the intensity spectrum a little bit and, and where Jesus starts to challenge or further up where there's real strong challenge or further up the intensity spectrum, uh, spectrum to correction, right? Or even to discipline or rebuke. And I think this situation combines a number of the, I mean, there's certainly instruction and there's certainly challenge in there and it just keeps moving up to some correction and discipline, but I think he's leaning in, he's using the moment, and he's saying, I know this is incredibly intense, but I'm telling you, I want your eyes on me no matter what you go through. And I've gone through some, some horrible things in life, and oh my gosh, it's always better to keep our eyes focused on him for as long as we can, rather than 
you know, crashing off and just diving into fear and unbelief and God, why? And, and all that's natural. I'm not finding fault with that. But the more we can keep our eyes and say, Lord, I know you care about me because that was the heart of their question. Don't you even care about us? The more we can stay attached to like, I don't understand it. I don't know why the job last happened. This person died that I care about or, or, or any number of incredibly painful situations. The more we can say, I know one thing about you. You sacrificed yourself for me. You care about me. I don't understand why this is happening, but I know you're good. And I know you will redeem this situation in this fallen world. So I think that's what's happening here. Incredible training moment. And remember, these disciples, they're going to go on to lead the new church after Jesus has died and been raised from the dead and ascends back to heaven. And, you know, truth be told, it's the Holy Spirit leading the church, but the disciples, they're part of that equation. And so he's preparing them to lead in the face of the Romans uh, and their military threat and threats of torture and execution and killing. He's preparing them to lead in front of Herod, who was a wicked king and also had all those kind of, you know, wicked bodily harm throw you in jail. I mean, he cut Jan the, John the Baptist's head off and he's preparing them to deal with that. And in addition, remember, these disciples, they're going to go along to be martyrs. They're going to lay their lives down and saying, even if it costs me my life, I'm going to say one thing. He, Jesus, he's good and he's real and he was raised from the dead. He paid for our sins. We are truly forgiven and they're going to they're going to lay their lives down to uh, to give that message. And so he knows, Jesus knows that's all coming. So I see this as massive training time, very intense. But get this, he's not pushing them away. He's not rejecting them. He's not saying, you didn't do enough and I'm finding fault with you. It's just, it's none of that. He's saying, it is time to grow more for your good, for the kingdom's good, for the people that you're going to care for. So stay connected to me. Well, the, um, the foundation verse I'm using here is Hebrews 1 through 3, 1 verse 3. It says, the sun is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being. So if Jesus isn't rejecting them, God's not rejecting them. If Jesus isn't shaming them, God's not shaming them. If Jesus isn't even fault finding them, he says, I want you to grow in faith, but he's not saying, oh, I'm done with you. If he's not accusing them or condemning, that means God's not accusing or condemning them, right? And uh, if Jesus is bearing with them and using the intensity to train them and make them more and grow them and pull them close, that means God's using it to train them. And, and sometimes there's just horrible situations in this fallen world. I don't believe God creates them. I don't think he created the storm. He will redeem it. And uh, those of us that have been through real suffering, we know God didn't create the cancer or the problem or the death of the person or the job loss, but we know he can get in there and redeem that. And it is incredibly gritty and painful, but God can be with us in it. And I think that's what's happening here. So if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. And then there's a massive worship opportunity here. Uh, much like when Job, at the end of the story, God showed up and in awe, he worships God and said, forget everything I've said, all my accusations against you, God. Now that I see you and know you, I know you're good. And, and forgive me for every word I've said because I've been in so much pain. And it's much like that, the disciples 
in worship. They're like, who is this? Even the wind and waves obey. I mean, it's not like another healing or uh, he's delivered somebody from demonic oppression or, um, you know, these kind of things. He's got power over nature like Moses and manna coming down from the heaven to feed the Israelites or the parting of the Red Seas. I mean, only God can manipulate the weather right in front of your face. And so take it out in prayer and like, God, I know you're close to me and intimate with me and you love me and encourage me. But I also know there's a place to just worship you in the awesomeness and who you are. And when they saw you speak a few words to wind and waves and it all died down, they were undone. They didn't know what was happening. And uh, you are awesome. You're my God. Help me keep my eyes on you at all times. And thank you for the, all the encouragement and instruction and all the stuff that's a little less intense. But uh, And thank you that you didn't push them away and you're not pushing me away. You're drawing us close for our good and the good of the kingdom. Amen and amen.